Okay, so I'm curious. You don't have to raise your hand because that, that would be awkward. But how many of you have lied or tried to deceive somebody in order to be accepted or to fit in with a group of people? Right? I just want you to think about it. How many of you have lied or deceived somebody? It could have been middle school. It could have been high school. It could be college. It could have been to get into a fraternity or to be accepted in that fraternity. It could have even been in a job interview. And then you later regret it because you know you got to keep it up. And it's exhausting to be able to do it. See, this was me when I was six years old. I had, my whole family, I was the youngest of four kids. Uh, my parents were still together at this time. Uh, my whole family had glasses. And I have great eyesight. I did have great eyesight. Now i got to use readers. But anyway, I had great eyesight. And, and, but my whole family had, uh, you know, glasses. And I, and, I, and I thought they were cool. And I wanted to fit in with the rest of the family, especially, like, when you're the, like, by far youngest, like, I'm the oops baby, right? Like, and all of a sudden, you know, everybody, you know, they're teasing me because, you know, oh, yeah, like, sure, you're born on the 4th of July. And, you know, you don't really, you know, really one of our, you, we adopted, you know, like, all those things. They kiss, like, I want to fit in with the family. They all have glasses. I don't. And so I had literally decided ahead of time, like, I'm going to the eye doctor, and I am lying because I want a pair of glasses. No, no kidding. So we go, yeah, wow, I know. So we go to the doctor, and I go there, and I can see all the letters perfectly clear. And I start squinting. You know, I got the whole thing down. I start squinting, and I'm making up letters, right? And guess what? I got glasses. And I thought it was awesome until my parents made me wear them. Because my eyes hurt because I had good eyesight. And if, but if I said anything... Man, there would, been, there would have been consequences to pay. Modern-day miracle. Months later, I got amazing eyesight back, right? <laughs> but, here's, but here's the thing. I didn't have to lie. I didn't have to cost my family more money. I didn't have to experience the consequences that were going to come. And, I, and, I, and again, just so you know, there were significant consequences because of my lying. And let me just ask you this quick question. What if, you know how we say, oh, man, if I did that, my father would kill me. What if that really would have happened? Like my dad says, son, I'm sorry, but you gots to go. <laughs> like, that's it. I'm just telling. Like, you would probably, honestly, especially in this day, like you would say that is a gross overreaction to something like that. But what if God said, you're going to pay with your life because of that? What would you think of God? If you have your Bibles, go ahead and open up with me to Acts chapter 5. And so glad that you're here. Welcome to Side Life, right? And uh, if you're tuning in online, so glad you've tuned in. Uh, we have finished up our marriage series. Uh, you can go back and listen to that online on YouTube or our, our website. But it, today, we are jumping back into the book of Acts. We've been going through the book of Acts verse by verse. And we are at the end of chapter 4. And we're going to continue this series throughout the summer into the fall. So we hope that you'll join us. If you missed those earlier ones, again, you can go online. You can check those out as well. So we are seeing that the early church is growing. Like Jesus has died. He's resurrected. Resurrected. He told the, 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 the disciples that, hey, you're going to be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. They've, he's now sent the Holy Spirit. The church has exploded like by thousands and thousands of 
of people, and all of a sudden we see that unity and generosity, just like Chad was talking about, generosity is, is really characterizing these new disciples, these followers of Jesus. And so before we get to chapter 5, we've got to go back to the end of chapter 4. So join with me, verse 32. It says, all the believers were one in heart and mind. In other words, they were incredibly unified. No one claimed that any of their possessions was his own. In other words, they knew God owns it all. We're just stewards of God's stuff. And look, when you have that heart, when you know that to be true, God owns it all, we're just stewards of his stuff. Look, but they shared everything they had. And here's why. When I know God owns it and it's not mine, it's easy for me to give. But when I think I'm the owner, now God is asking me to give some of it back, or all of a sudden God's asking me to bless somebody else. Like, how hard have I worked for this, and, and I've done all these things, and I've got bills, and I've got lifestyle, and I've got all this stuff that I need to take care of my money. And what the early church understood was it wasn't theirs. And so they sold what we're going to see. They sold their stuff. Look at this, verse uh, 33. With great power, the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And much grace was upon them all. There were no needy persons among them, which is amazing. For from time to time, those who owned land and houses sold them. And then they would bring the money from the sales, put it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to anyone as he had need. Do you see the generosity? Like this is what characterized the early church. There was so much unity around the conviction and the belief that Jesus rose from the dead. Like they were so committed and so convicted by it that they were so unified that how could they not give? Like when the gospel transforms your heart and your thinking, like the natural response is generosity, not just money, but in your time and your service and your care. And we see that they took care of one another. And here's what I want you to write down. Here's, here's, you need to put this in your notes. The gospel, when it transforms your heart and your thinking, the gospel will loosen your grip on your stuff, but it will tighten your commitment to one another. When you understand what Christ has done for you, the gospel that he rose from the dead, that you were separated from God, that he, that he redeemed and has restored and has reconciled you back into relationship with himself, when that gospel transforms your heart and mind, it'll loosen the tight, the white knuckles, right? It'll loosen your grip on your stuff, but it'll tighten my commitment to each other. And this is why I talk about all the time, you need to keep preaching the gospel to yourself every day. Like, every day, I need to be reminded, like, what Christ has done for me. I literally do not deserve anything good. When we have a heart posture that I deserve or I've earned, you're already in the wrong heart posture. Like, when I'm in a place of God, I don't deserve anything good. So anything that you give me is a generous gift, and it's all yours anyway, and so you've You've entrusted this 
to me. Now I'm called, whether it's grace, whether it's love, whether it's acceptance, whether it's money, whether it's stuff, like whatever it is, you've entrusted. Now I'm called to be a good steward, and I'm supposed to then bless others with it. And the church got it, and they were growing exponentially. Verse 36, Joseph, a Levite from Cyprus, I guess just down the road, when the apostles called Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, sold a field he owned and brought the money and put it at the apostles' feet. So in other words, here's the deal. Barnabas is a, a, a guy who got a nickname as the son of encouragement. He, he is going to have, you're going to see this in, in coming chapters, he is going to have a lot more focus. But here's what he did. He sold some land, brought the proceeds, all of it, brought the proceeds, brought it to the apostles, and trusted them to distribute it as they were led by God. Now, go to chapter 5, verse 1. It says, Now, a man named Ananias, together with his wife Sapphira, also sold a piece of property. In other words, just like Barnabas. And with his wife's full knowledge, in other words, she was very clear of the plan. He kept back part of the money for himself, but he brought the rest and he put it at the apostles' feet. So here's what's happening. Ananias sees that Barnabas takes his, he sold some land, goes to the apostles, puts this. He gets a nickname. Like, look at this. This is Barnabas, and we're going to call him, this is Joseph. We're going to call him, Bar like, he's a son of encouragement. He's, he's going to get authority. He's going to get, like, all this stuff. And so all of a sudden, Ananias sees this, and he's like, hey, I, I, I'd like a little bit of that attention, too. I'd like a little bit of, of that accolade. I, I, you know, I want some of that as well. And so he, he puts a plan together to withhold some of it. He decides to keep a little for himself and, he, and for themselves, but he doesn't want to give it all. So let, let me ask you a question. Have you ever experienced that? Like where God has laid a certain amount on your heart to give or to bless somebody else or to you know, give to somebody in need or, or, or on a, somebody going on a mission trip, like whatever it is, and you've chosen to either withhold or give less of a amount because the amount that the Lord really impressed on your heart seemed too much. Or your spouse said, hey, I think we should give this. You're like, how much? Are you kidding me? You ever experienced that? Or, 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 or maybe, maybe this experience, like this is always a great one. God, I, you know, you're praying and praying and praying. Like you have these, like, Lord, if you will increase my salary or if you will give me a bigger bonus, God, I promise, Lord. Like I'm going to give you X amount. Like, and then all of a sudden, somehow, some way, God does that. And you don't give that amount, but you increase your lifestyle. You ever experienced that? And what God is trying to bring out is the heart issue. And we, over the years, we've, we've experienced, we've prayed and prayed and prayed, Susie and I, and, and, uh, and, and, and God used so many people along the way, like to meet needs in our life and for our families that we couldn't meet. And it was just, they were the hands and feet of Jesus in those circumstances. And over the years, we've been able to bless others in the same way, which has been such a, a kind gift from the Lord to be able to bless other people. I, as I was writing this, the Lord brought this to my attention uh, about a month ago, I had won some money in a golf tournament, and uh, I went to go pick up the envelope, and I had, I had gotten an email earlier uh, that month about a lady that worked uh, at, the, at the course uh, whose husband uh, had passed away. 
And I had seen her uh, that day when I went up to the day, and, I, and I, it did. When I got that email, I just started praying for her, and she doesn't know me, and she knows my face, but that's about it. And so I just, when I saw her, I said, hey, I just want you to know I'm praying for you, and I'm really sorry for your loss. And I went into the, to the clubhouse to, to pick up my envelope, and, uh, and I picked it up. And, and as I'm, literally, as I'm leaving, I felt like the Lord says, I want you to go give that to that lady. And I'm like, no. <laughs> like, I had plans for this, right? And that sounds horrible, but I'm your pastor, right? Like, I'm like, no, can't somebody else bless you, you know? And, and, uh, and I just, you know, sometimes I wonder, like, I'm having this conversation with God. And I wonder if people are like, what is wrong with that guy? Like, talking to the air. But anyway, so I'm like, I'm like oh, God, man, I wanted to take, like, like I had plans. And he's like, I want you to give all of it. Like, you don't get to, like, and it's seriously, I'm like, I'm like, what if I keep a little bit? And what if I give it to the rest? It's still a good amount. And, and the Lord's like, all of it. You know, and I, you know, I'm not just kidding. So I, I, I literally, I'm like, you know what? I'm just doing it. I, I know better at this point in my life with Jesus. Like, I just know better. Like, I'm not going to wrestle. I'm not going to argue. It always goes bad. So I'm like, I'm just going to. So I literally go into the clubhouse to one of the guys, and I said, hey, listen. I said, you know so-and-so. She, her, she is, yeah. I said, will you take this? I don't want her to know who gave it to her. I said, but will you just take this, and will you just give, her, give it to her? You, you want me to give all? I said, yeah, you just do it. And I left. And here's, here's why I tell you that. I know the tension. The tension in what God is saying, and yet I really want to keep because I think it's mine in those moments. And this is what is going on. The problem with Ananias is that he was trying to give the impression that he was generous. He was trying to let, think, you know, wanting people to think that he gave it all just like Barnabas, but in fact, what was really going on is that he was being deceitful. And look at this, verse 3, he says, Then Peter said, Ananias, how is it that Satan has so filled your heart, not possessed, but has so filled your heart that you lied to the Holy Spirit and have kept for yourself some of the money that you received for your land? Now, let, let me ask you, who's behind the deceit? Yeah, Satan, the enemy, he's behind it. And this is actually the first time since the cross that he is even referenced in Scripture. First time since the cross when they had that whole thing with Jesus. Like this is the first time we see him being referenced doing what he does best, deceiving and lying. Like this is what he's up to. Before the cross, he was trying to deceive and destroy Jesus, after the cross, he's now trying to deceive believers and destroy the church. And he's still up to it today. And when we buy into it, consequences and destruction always follows. We see this. Now, this word filled here in, in this verse, it literally means to be controlled or or influenced by, which is in contrast to the word filled when it's talking about the apostles with the Holy Spirit. But he says that the Holy Spirit, when they were filled with the Holy Spirit, Ananias and Sapphira were filled with not the Spirit, right? They were, he says, why is Satan filled? In other words, why has Satan controlled you? Why is he 
influenced you. See, again, when we see Ananias, pretty much everybody, that, that every person I read, believes that Ananias is a believer. He wasn't possessed, because we don't believe believers can be actually possessed. We think you can be oppressed. But we think that Ananias was a believer who was influenced or controlled by the Spirit, which is why Peter said, how did you let Satan con gain control over you or influence you? Verse 4. He says, didn't it, talking about the land, didn't it belong to you before it was sold and after it was sold? Wasn't the money at your disposal? What made you think of doing such a thing? Have you not lied to men? Excuse me, you have not lied to men but to God, now here's the question. Was it wrong to keep back some of the money? I want you to think about this. Was it wrong to keep back some of the money? No. In fact, Peter pretty much addresses this. He says the money was at, I mean, the, the, the proceeds were at your disposal. You could have come up with whatever it is that you wanted to. The problem was your deceit. You were presenting a gift. With it, and, and again, you were presenting it as if it was the full amount. He wanted others to think he was such a generous guy. He wanted to give the appearance that he was something that he wasn't. It's called premeditated deception. Premeditated deceit. He was a spiritual fraud. It's what so many outsiders think of people that are insiders in the church, and they call them hypocrites. It's what Jesus continually pushed back on the Pharisees about. But let me ask you a question. Why? Why what would cause somebody, now insert your name, <laughs> what would cause anybody to work so hard to try to impress other people? What's going on inside of me when I have a need or a desire to try to make other people think something, something of me that might not be true? What drives that? What's going on inside of me that I want somebody to think that I'm, I, I, I have, you know, I'm uh, more successful or more financially stable or, or you know, I'm more spiritually mature or whatever it is? What drives our need to make others think that we have it together when we really don't? And God's beginning to expose this and because here's what God was trying to help. And this is what Peter was also relying, uh, kind of relaying to him. You're not fooling God. Like he knows your heart. And I just want you to know, especially if you're a guest, that we want so much for this to be a place of incredible transparency and authenticity. Like you do not have in fact, we would encourage you, don't act like you have your act together. Like you come as you are, and you're messing all that stuff. You come as you are. Because if you've got a perfect marriage, and you've got perfect kids, and you've got your whole act and life together, and, it, and I'm just going to tell you, you most likely then you don't need Jesus. Because Jesus said he came to heal the sick. And so if you don't, there's other churches that would love to have you put a mask on and come sit in their church. What we're going to encourage is you get real, and we're going to get honest with one another, 
and we're going to walk this stuff out together with Jesus because I'm telling you, our community desperately needs a place that will be honest and real with Jesus and with each other, and that needs to be here. Because this is what we see in the early church, right? The early church is growing, and people are being generous, and they're, and they're caring for one another, and they're meeting each other's needs, and they're there for one another, and they're experiencing incredible unity. And so guess what happens? Of course, the enemy. All of a sudden, then Satan shows up, and he influences. He influences this couple. To say, come on, you don't need to give all of it. You can get the same appearance and still keep a little bit of back. So he influences them to really undermine their integrity. And God decides he's not going to allow anything to compromise his church. So Peter pretty much says to to Ananias, bro. You aren't just lying to men. You're lying to God. And check this out. Verse 5. And when Ananias heard this, he fell dead and died. And great fear. Yeah, you think? All who heard what had happened. All great fear seized all who heard what had just happened. Can you imagine if that happened today? Seriously, can you, can you begin to imagine, like, God, if you increase my income, I promise, boom, like most of us in here are dead people, like, right? Like, and if ever, I was, actually, when I was writing this this week, this cracked me up, I was thinking about all the old churches, and what are around all old churches? Cemeteries. And I'm thinking, yeah, because the ushers didn't have that far to walk, apparently, right? I think now would be a good time for an offering, so, no, just kidding, just kidding. But here's, write this down in your notes, this is so important. God will deal with sin however he sees best. And if we're brutally honest, that's the problem we have. Because it's not as you see best. But God will deal with sin however he seems best. And if, if, if we're incredibly honest, it, this seems so severe to us. And here's why. It's because we underestimate the significance of our sin and we overestimate our own personal goodness. If you're struggling, I'm just telling you, if you struggle with this, which probably most of us in here would struggle with this, this is a tough passage. It's because we underestimate the significance of sin from God's perspective and we overestimate our own personal goodness. And here's what God was saying. He's like, I'm not allowing Ananias, and I'm not allowing his secret sin to negatively impact my church. Uh, Reminds me of a similar story in in, uh, Joshua chapter 7. And I don't know if you remember the story or not. I've ever heard of the story. But the the Israelite, Joshua is leading them. And the Israelites are just crushing everybody. And God's blessing them. And everything's awesome. And all of a sudden, Israel starts losing. Like, and Joshua is so confused. And the people are confused. And 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 then he goes before the Lord. And you go back and read all the stuff about yourself. But he goes before the Lord and pretty much is saying, Lord, like, what's up? Like, I thought I was doing what you asked. I thought your hand was upon us. Like, like, 
did I miss something? Or, you know, I'm just confused. Like, this shouldn't be happening. And the Lord says, hey, there's sin in the camp. Like, you need to deal with the sin in the camp. And you can go back and read how this all worked out and all that kind of stuff. But all of a sudden, Achan, one of the, one of the soldiers, one of the guys, he gets exposed that he had said, God had said, destroy these folks and do not take any of the plunder. Don't take any of the treasures with you. You know, that's not for you. Well, Achan decided, like, yeah, 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 I'm just going to keep this little bit. Like, God, you're not going to miss this, right? Like, nobody's going to know. I'll just, I'll just put it under the carpet, put it under the tent. It'll be all good. Like, my family will be blessed. But, you know, everything else is yours, Lord. Just this, just, just, just this little bit. And so it gets exposed. And Achan was put to death with his entire family. Hear me. There are consequences to our saying God doesn't mess around. This is not a fear tactic. This is just reality for us to understand that we serve, yes, a loving, gracious, merciful God. He is also perfect and holy and just, and his holiness demands for sin to be dealt with one way or another, and he's the one that determines it. And so when we are more interested in our personal comfort over our commitment to Christ, we will struggle with the consequences. This is why Paul said in 1 Corinthians 10, Now these things took place as examples for us that we might not desire evil as they did. Like God's giving you warnings. God's showing you. He's giving you all kinds of stories and examples. And he's like, listen, don't learn the hard way. It's right here. Look what happens next, verse 7. About three hours later, in other words, Ananias, you know, he's dead. He's just been, he's been taken out. Three hours later, his wife comes in, not knowing what happened. Apparently, she didn't have the app. She wasn't keeping track of where he was at and all that kind of stuff. So verse 8, Peter asked her, tell me, is this the price you and Ananias got for the land? Well, yes, she said. That is the price. In other words, she's in on the deception. Peter said to her, how could you agree to test the spirit of the Lord? Look, the feet of the men who buried your husband are at the door, and they will carry you out also. And at that moment, she fell down at his feet and died. And then the young men came in and finding her dead, carried her out and buried her outside with her husband. And I'm sure probably many of you are wondering, it's like, why is she punished? She, honestly, like why? She's just being, she's, she's being submissive to her husband. Like we get the husband, like kill him. But the wife, she's just obeying. She's, she's just going along with what she was asked. So ladies and men, I'm, I'm, I want to try to make this super clear. First off, scripture, when we talk about submission, it, it, scripture super clear on this. It's mutual submission. Biblical submission, ladies. Never, you can underline that, never ask you to follow anybody into sin. Just be clear. You never replace the Holy Spirit with your husband. Biblical submission is, is never going to require you because you will, there, there is coming a day where every single one of us will stand before God and give an account 
for our lives. You'll give an account for what God, you know, put on your heart for generosity, for serving, for giving, like, like in every area. And you don't get to put the, the shift, the blame to say, well, my husband said, no, no, no. You, we see the results with Sapphira. We're going to stand accountable. Men, listen up. You and your sin and your lack of spiritual leadership will not only cost you, but it will have a significant impact on your entire family. So think wisely and choose to humble yourself and just obey whatever it is that the Lord is asking of you and for your family. And look at the response. It says, in great fear, yeah, you think? Great fear sees the whole church, the whole ecclesia, and all who heard about these events. And here's what God was sending the church. Here's the message that God was sending the church, and I think it's still for the church today. Don't play with fire. Don't play with fire. Where there is smoke, there is often fire. Don't play with the fire. Here's the smoke. Lying, jealousy, greed, cheating, hypocrisy, not being generous. That's all smoke that leads to the fire of the idol that's going on in your heart. So when that stuff is being seen out of your life, when that stuff is being starting to be seen out of a church, I'm just telling you where there's smoke, there's fire. And what God wants you to do, don't work on the smoke. Deal with the fire and get it out of your heart because then when you deal with that, the smoke goes away. Like we need to confess it. We need to admit it. We need to take responsibility for it, seek forgiveness and repent. We've got to turn away from that kind of sin, that kind of lifestyle. See, but when I have a desire to be liked and accepted and loved, which are all good things, like those aren't evil things. The problem is when I have that desire and I don't trust God for it, but I take matters into my own hands called control, when I take matters into my own hands and I go get it, oftentimes those kind of decisions are me driven because I want to fill a hole that's really only there to be filled with the acceptance and love of Jesus. You try to fill it by gaining from other people and they'll never meet those expectations for you. Never. They're incapable of filling that hole for you. And what God is revealing and what he's showing, he's saying, listen, when you are filled with the Spirit, and you're walking with the Spirit, and you are being influenced by the Spirit, you're going to produce. He's going to produce this in you. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, like self-control, like those things he's going to produce in and through your life. And it's going to honor God, and it's going to bless those around you. Listen to me. If we're going to be a church, if we're going to be people, they're going to make and send disciples who love and live like Jesus. We've got to be so closely connected to the Lord. I don't want to be another leader or another church that's in the papers or on the news that undermines the integrity of God's church. Every single one of us. Like, we're called, we know this in Acts, like he calls us to be witnesses to his Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the, to the ends of the earth. 
Which is why God needs you and I to deal with our sin so significantly that we are willing to make sure that we closely walk God like you expose, like you show, and I want to admit it, I want to confess it, I want to deal with it because I don't want there being an open door for the enemy to deceive me so that I end up creating all kinds of hurt, not just for me, not just for my wife, not for my grandkids and, and, and you know future grandkids, but for a church and a whole community. That's the destruction that it brings if you and I don't deal with our sin. This is why Hebrews 12.1 says, you know, put away these things. You must put away those things that so easily entangle or snare you. Because if not, it'll undermine the reputation of the name of Jesus. Now, let me, let me answer quickly and I'll be done. A question that I get asked a lot when it is. This, often, a lot of people don't preach this uh, passage because it can be complicated for some. Uh, no joke, I'm telling you, it was amazing to me how many people said, oh, I'll never preach that. Uh, why did they have to die? That's the question. It's a fair question because it seems so severe and we don't really see it consistently. Like, that's not God's response on everything. Why does this person die when they did this, but yet this other person did the exact same thing and they don't die? Like, like why is that? And I always don't know. Like, you know, God gets to do what he wants to do. He's God. However, I do know this. It's what I mentioned earlier. It's because the reason we struggle with it is because we diminish sin. We don't see sin as disgusting as God sees it. We put sin on a scale. God doesn't. So we diminish sin and we underestimate the holiness of God. Like if you were able to fully grasp the holiness of God, you would be such an awe, you'd be on your face, and you wouldn't even be able to speak. But we treat God as some kind of like fraternity brother, the man upstairs, like the big Santa Claus in the sky. Like that's not God. That's some version that you've created. That, that, is, that is not who God is. In fact, I want, I want you to listen to these words. R.C. Sproul wrote a phenomenal book called The Holiness of God. This was a series I, I, I read, I went through this years and years and years ago, and I literally could not, like, I could not speak because he did such a phenomenal job of putting it into words that captured my heart. This is what he says. He says, God is indeed long-suffering, patient, and slow to anger. In fact, he is so slow to anger that when his anger does erupt, we are shocked and offended by it. We forget rather quickly that God's patience is actually designed to lead us to repentance, to give us time to be redeemed. Instead of taking advantage of this patience by coming humbly to him for forgiveness, we use this grace as an opportunity to become bolder in our sin. We delude ourselves into thinking that either God doesn't care about it or that he is powerless to punish us. And the supreme folly is that we think we will get away with our revolt. See, Ananias and Sapphira, on the outside, they look just like Barnabas. They looked like they were generous and committed churchgoers. 
God knew their heart. So here's my question to you this morning. How's yours? How's your heart? And whatever it is that maybe God is bringing to the forefront of your mind right now, that's what you need to deal with. Potentially. Whatever it is that he's bringing, is there anything that God is bringing to your heart and to your mind that he wants you to deal with? Confess it. Seek reconciliation. Seek forgiveness for it. Jesus loves to meet us in our messes, but you've got to humble yourself and be willing to deal with it. I need to wrap up quick. Let me share this one last thing. Uh, Sue and I uh, work in really long hours, and, uh, and so she had talked to me. She's like, hey, is it possible? Can we, can we get somebody to come clean our house? Because, you know, we're... we're we're spending so much time doing all this other stuff, and then on the weekends, we're trying to play catch-up, which is not relaxing at all, and we need to rest and all that kind of stuff. And I'm like, well, how much are we talking? And so we talked through it, and I said, absolutely. Like, I really wanted her to feel cared for, so I'm like, yes, we, we will do this. And so uh, the, the cleaning person that she had hired was getting ready to come the next day. She's like, hey, we need to clean the house because the cleaning lady's coming tomorrow. <laughs> I'm not the smartest tool in the shed, but I'm like, this doesn't make sense. I literally am like, that, this is why we're hiring somebody. Now, I did a survey in first Ladies, how many of you do the same thing? Y'all are nuts. This is, does not make sense to me. I'm like, this is why we hire somebody to do this, right? And, and again, it was like she didn't want to be embarrassed of the house not being clean to have a cleaning lady come clean the little bit that was now left for somebody else to clean. Here's my point, and I'll close. Oftentimes, we come to God the same way. We say, God, when I, once I get my act together, once I kind of stop doing it, like, like I know you won't accept me the way I am, so let me kind of get some things in order, and then I'll come to you. And God's like, you don't get it. Like, you can't. Like, you come to me in the mess that you're in. And we'll deal with that stuff, but I love you and I care about you. But I'll take you right where you are. I'm not going to let you stay there. But I'm going to invite you to follow me and walk with me because I want something far greater for you. And I just believe that Jesus this morning wants you to get honest with him. He's ready. The question is, are you? Let's pray. God, thank you for your word. Uh, for your incredible grace that you keep pursuing us. And uh, Lord, I am, you have met me in so many areas of mess. And you continue to pursue my heart and continue to invite me to follow you in places that are unbelievably uncomfortable. And every time I say yes, even though it's hard and it's painful, I'm incredibly grateful. And every time I've said no, I've experienced unbelievable regret and consequences. God, my hope and my prayer is that we will have a heart posture of just choosing to trust you so that we can follow you. And if you're here this morning, we'll have prayer partners down. And we're going we're gonna to worship to this last song. And I hope it's the heart cry of your heart. Lord, I, I pray that we would respond as we come before you, of like deal with this thing that's going on inside of me that drives whatever behavior that is being exposed in my life. And God, would you bring healing so that I don't undermine the integrity of your name and your church, but I actually 
draw hearts and lives to see you for who you actually really are, a good and a gracious God. Lord, we love you so much. In Jesus' name, amen.